0: Now, my wife and I, a couple of years ago, we uh, went to visit her brother in Stellenbosch. He was still studying there, and he borrowed us his car, and so we want to do a bit of a day trip. And uh, to be honest, I had like a not manly moment. I didn't check the fuel gauge as we left, and so her brother's a bit of a cheapskate, so he left us like an empty uh, fuel tank there. So as we leave basically Stellenbosch for this epic trip for the whole day, as we just go up that first hill, just nothing. And I just come to this very awkward standstill, and I realize no petrols done. So now I'm like on the outside. I'm trying to flag people down, like please help us. Can I tell you, Bosch people are like really not helpful. They not even one of them wanted to. Are probably students. Okay, no. So here's the realization I had: we did not need a new car. Do you agree with that? Like we didn't need a car. If someone sponsored us a car, that wasn't the point. What we needed was fuel. <laughs> That's it. All that we needed was fuel, and this epic trip could get back in gear. And I want to say, I often think, and this passage is going to break it open so powerfully today, that so many of us, I'm there often in my faith. If you're a Jesus follower here today, you come to places where your faith becomes a grind. It becomes a frustration. You become tired. You feel that you are pulling your religion behind you. And I want to tell you, you don't need a new thing. What you need is the fuel of the scandalous grace of Jesus. What makes Christianity what it is? It's not a system, it's not a religion, it's not a set of rules or practices, it's not a worldview even, more than it is the scandalous, gracious work of God in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. So it says in Hebrews 12 that Jesus is not just the author, the one who began our faith, He is the perfecter of our faith. Some of us need to hear the perfecting fuel of your faith today. And it's not found in gritting your teeth more. Trying to do more today, it's about receiving what makes our faith powerful. You know what that is? We're gonna see in this passage that the most crucial gathering in the history of the church takes place and it's a battle over this one thing. How scandalous are we gonna allow the grace of Jesus to be? Are we gonna move from scandalous grace to something different? Or are we gonna realize that is actually the fuel that we all need, not what you can do for God, what God has done for all people in Jesus. So read with me. Last week, we saw Paul for the first time speaking to a non-Jewish audience, and here smack in the middle, Luke puts it right here for a reason. Let's read together. Acts 15.1, some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, so the old covenant, you cannot be saved. You can't be a Jesus follower. After Paul and Barnabas, we saw them last week going out to all these these new territories of non-Jewish people, after they had engaged them in a serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas um, and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem about this issue. So Jerusalem was like the HQ for the church in that time. Verse 4, when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them in all these non-Jewish territories. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, those who wanted to hold on to a Jewish-only identity, they stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, brothers, you are aware that in the early days, God made a choice among you. That by my mouth, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, would hear the gospel, the good news, and believe. And God, who knows the heart, He bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke, this, this wooden um, implement you would put on animals to pull all these agricultural implements. He says, Why are you putting this yoke on the disciples, the Jesus followers' necks, that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. The whole assembly became silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and the wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. So verse 19, Therefore, in my judgment, they said, We should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles to turn to God. Verse 22, So the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to select men um, who were among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas and also then Judas called Wasabas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. And they wrote to them saying this, From the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters, among the Gentiles in Antioch and in Syria and in Sicilia. Greetings. And then they unpack a bit of what they just said. Verse 28. This is the key. It says, for it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours to not place further burdens on you beyond these requirements. And then they speak about some things that were cultural to the Gentiles. So verse 30. So they sent them off and went down to Antioch. And after gathering this assembly of non-Jewish Christians, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Just today. When scandalous grace is received and constantly reapplied, they will be rejoicing. There will be a freedom and a joy. I said last week, Shia LaBeouf saying, listen, he's preparing for this role. He's becoming almost, you know, part of this brotherhood of these Christians. And what strikes him? The joy. The joy of these people. Not their routines, not their religion, not their rules. their joy. When scandalous grace remains scandalous, there will be joy. And it says, here, let's not burden anyone with anything extra. When I begin to live under the extra of Jesus plus something, man, it becomes a burden. It becomes difficult. It becomes, it, it becomes teeth-clenching religion that I have to hold onto. Now, how did this happen here? Today's a bit more teaching style than preaching because I want you to just to understand this and then I'll make one application for us. The reason why this happened in this case is partially because the early followers of Jesus, most of them were Jewish, of course, and then it kind of spread out and they did not take seriously enough. Jesus has called to them in Matthew 28 when he said, hey, go to all nations, and make followers of Jesus. And so they said, listen, here in Jerusalem, we are seeing tons of Jewish people become Christian, Jesus followers. So there's a lot for us to do here. The nations can wait for now. And because of that, I don't think they had bad hearts. It's just the reality. The early Christian movement, those first couple of years, took on this very Jewish kind of flavor. They, they, they became out of step with the call to go to all nations Luke 1, it says that the angel appears to these shepherds and they say what? This is good news of great joy for all people. The Christian movement is not for a group of people. It is for the nations and it's for their joy. And so what is God doing? He's saying, listen, I need to bring you back to what this whole thing has been about the whole time. Do you know what this thing has been about the whole time? Let me just run you through some of the, the ideas of covenant in the Old Testament. So God begins with this couple, They represent in some profound way all of mankind, Adam and Eve. And what does he say to them? He covenants with them. And he says, listen, I want you to know that you are my image bearers. You've been made in my image. I want you to go and represent me. Reflect my image in the world. In other words, we say it often, live in relationship with me and live as a representative of me. Go, cultivate creation. Keep, make uh, society and culture. Go and multiply, be fruitful. And then, of course, sin enters into the picture. We worship ourselves. We turn away from our calling. And there's a twisting in our nature, in our image that comes. But God says, I am still going to continue my calling and my plan for mankind. So then he moves on from this couple to this family in the beginnings of Abraham. And what does he once again say to him? Genesis 12. Yes, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I've chosen you. I will make your name great. Why? And you will be a blessing. And he he repeats this, Genesis 22. All the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. It's all building up to something. Yes, he says, I call you into my grace so that I can send you out. Yes, I bless you so that you would be a blessing. Yes, I bring you into family so that we would, as a family on mission, go and find more for this family. It's always been about the nations. And then we move from the couple to the family to the nation. Eventually we have the nation of Israel. And what does God say to them when they come to this mountain? They've been rescued from Egypt. He says the Exodus 19:4, You have seen what I do or what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Although the whole earth is mine. So yes, I've chosen you. But why? You will be my kingdom of priests. A priest is someone who speaks the word of God. Doesn't just keep it. Reflects it. And you will be my holy nation. Once again, we said last week, why do the unchurched, those who do not yet know Jesus in our city, why do most of them not know about Jesus? We said, because they don't see the kingdom of grace, truth, and love displayed in everything we do, and they don't hear about the good news of Jesus. Jesus says, I chose the nation of Israel not to just be my people, but they would be my almost, you know, living example of the kingdom, and they would speak of my goodness. It's always been for all the nations. But by the time that Jesus rolls around, the nation of Israel has almost turned so inwardly that they, they almost forget the fact that it's never been about them exclusively. I've chosen you. You're my special possession for the nations. And so even the early church, they have this idea that this is now the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of the old covenant, and it's for us. And yet Jesus says, no, it's not just for you. It's for all people. It's through you. And so what does God do? He raises up two key people. He raises up Paul, who used to be this very intense Jewish Pharisee. He, in fact, he was a church persecutor. He becomes a church planter through his, this moment that he has with the resurrected Jesus. And what does he say to Paul when he calls him? Acts 9, he says, The Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people, don't get stuck here. My plan is unfolding. Paul, I will call you out of your intense Jewish zealousness, and you will go to the non-Jewish people, and you will tell them about the God of all nations. Even Peter, who becomes this follower of Jesus, who's often got his foot in his mouth, eventually got through this vision of saying, hey, I know that you are such a trustworthy Jewish zealot and follower, but I want you to see in this vision that God is not separating you now. He is bringing his family of non-Jewish and Jewish people together. One family, multi-ethnic family, multinational family, multi-generational family, for all time, for all people and places. And Peter, through this vision, realizes, and what does he say? Acts 10, For now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't have favorites in the world. He doesn't have favorites that come to church on a Sunday morning and then the rest. No. It says, in every nation, the person who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. This message was always meant to be a freeing, joyous message for all people of all times and all generations all backgrounds. And they get stuck in saying, you know what? We actually think for you to become a Christian, you need to go back to the Old Testament. You need to go back to the Old Covenant. You need to go back to circumcision and rules and temples and sacrifices. And it's almost like they're adding something on. And here Peter says, listen, we are going to put a yoke, a heavy wooden implement on the necks of Christians if we tell them Jesus plus The moment there's a plus to the scandalous grace of Jesus, people get tired, they get hurt, they get despondent because I'm just never enough. I can't do this. I'm trying my best to do this Christian thing, but it's so heavy. And guess what? Jesus is never what makes it heavy. It's always Jesus plus. Whether it's Jesus plus the Jewish customs, whether it's Jesus plus cultural Christianity, whether it's Jesus plus what you must wear, what you must say, what you must do, whether it's Jesus plus look like us, speak like us, do like us, whether it's Jesus plus, um, you know, traditional African religion, whether it's Jesus plus, you know, high English church, and you have to be proper, whether it's Jesus plus Afrikaans culture, and we have to be serious and intense. When it's Jesus plus, people get tired. Peter says, let's stop this, friends. It cannot even us proud Jewish people, I don't have to not become a Jew. That's a beautiful thing to be a Jewish person, but I'm guessing none of us here today are Jews. I'm just gonna take a stab here. He says, you don't have to become Jesus plus anything to receive the good news of Jesus. In fact, the moment we add on, we are taking away. And here's my question just to us. And then I wanna just do a quick bit of application here. There's so much stuff in this passage we can't get to. It's massive, unfortunately. But Luke, for a reason, says, I want to put this in the middle of the book of Acts because this is the moment where the church got challenged to say, will you add something to Jesus? And they had to call, literally, if you want to be like a church history nerd, the first ever synod of the church, the first gathering of the church. The Jerusalem Council was the first business meeting of the church. And we have the minutes of that meeting here. Luke gives it to us. And he says, the only thing on the agenda of the meeting is this. Will we add anything to Jesus? And you know what the church has been wrestling with for centuries now in every culture? Will we add anything to Jesus? Can I ask us maybe two things? Have we, maybe here are two things that we have added. Maybe there are some of the yoke that you feel on your shoulders, or maybe I'm the reason I'm putting these yokes on other people, but maybe two things that we do without even realizing it. Have we added things onto people's faith that has nothing to do with the Bible and everything to do with our culture? Are we making faith more cultural than biblical? This is what a man must be. And I'm like, but that has nothing to do with the Bible. That's just Afrikaans culture. This is what a, a strong woman of faith must be. I'm like, that's just Victorian age femininity. That's got nothing to do with the Bible. This is how someone must speak and dress and be. And I'm like, guys, that's, that's something you get from America. Now we have to blow ram's horns and go to Israel. I'm like, we're not Jewish, friends. If you're a Jewish Christian, that's great. We're not Jewish. If, that, if that's exciting to you, great. If you place that on me, you adding. If we're saying Jesus and no tattoos, you're adding. If you're saying Jesus and not this music, you're adding. If you're saying Jesus and dress this way, you're adding. If you're saying Jesus and act this way, you're adding. Friends, what are we adding onto the faith of our kids, of our young people in your life to your wife or your husband? What are you adding? It's Jesus and be submissive to me, you're adding. Am I saying those things or some of those things, let me just say that, That some of those things are not good. No, of course those things are good, but they must come because of Jesus, not for Jesus. Do I want us to be a sexually different culture than the rest of our city? Absolutely. Do I want our sexuality and our finances and our work and our ethics and our morality, all those things to look radically different from the city? Absolutely. If our faith looks exactly like the city, just we go to different spaces on a Sunday morning, we don't go to Plato, we don't go to church. If that's our faith, friends, we're in big trouble. But the way to get there is not to add more to Jesus, the way there is to swallow more of the scandalous grace of Jesus. The good news of grace of Jesus is not the springboard of faith, it is the pool. The deeper you go into the grace, the more profoundly different your life will become. Are we adding things? And maybe secondly, here's another question. Are we mixing unintentionally the old and the new covenant in the way we're following Jesus? Are we saying, yes, Jesus and a bit of Leviticus? Yes, Jesus and and a bit of Moses? Yes, Jesus and a bit of whatever you find there. Your Bible reading plan just gave you like this nice little snippet from Leviticus somewhere. How often do people wrestle with things in the church and they come and ask me questions about things and it's because of a tweet from the Old Testament, basically. And we don't realize the Old Testament is there for our encouragement and our strength and our wisdom, but it is the story of God's working that apexes in Jesus. So we need to realize there are some things that go through the cross of Jesus that stay behind. And if you go and pull those things back into our faith, you are adding someone says, no tattoos, why Leviticus? You've already added. Did you read the passage before it or after it? I promise you didn't, because the one says, don't mix two kinds of fibers in your clothing. Okay, are you going to stop doing that as well? Yes, yeah, so, so you know, if, if you come upon, what's that crazy verse in Deuteronomy? If you come upon two men arguing, and the woman grabs the one by his testicles, then they have to cut off her hand. Are you going to do that as well? You never read that, right, in your, in your uh, kid's Bible. the fact. God had a plan with a nation state in the ancient Near East called Israel. If we add in the journey that he had to accommodate himself to an ancient culture, if we bring that back into this covenant, we are adding. It's not going to bring us freedom. It's going to make you feel bogged down. One example, Leviticus 19, as I said, put on a garment made of two kinds of material. That's sin. Now why does that why is that the case? Let me give you I can't there's a whole teaching we can do one day on how do we think about the two covenants and how do we think about the law in the life of a Christian but yes just one thought. There were three kinds of laws for the ancient Israelites. Can't say that enough. It's never been repeated for one nation God said I will have to accommodate myself to this very ancient and barbaric culture and I will have to make a nation out of them for a specific season and reason. And there were three kinds of laws that you'll find in the Old Testament. The first kind of law was civil laws. So, how do you run an ancient nation? Never to be repeated again. All these laws about the stuff I just mentioned, I won't repeat again. All those laws are civil laws for a nation state that doesn't exist anymore. There's no more temple, there's no more ancient Israel. The other laws were ceremonial laws. How will you as an ancient nation, how will you worship me amongst all these other pagan nations? So here are some ceremonies. Here are some rituals. Here is how you, you know, don't and do cook a calf. And here's how you cut this thing's neck. And this is how you spatter the blood. And that was what God was doing with that people. And that was a good thing, a beautiful thing. But it's not our thing. There is no more temple. There is no more. Hebrews says Jesus is the final sacrifice for all people for all time. And then finally, there's one kind of law that's expressed in different ways in the Old Testament, and that is the moral law. The moral law went beyond just the people because it showed us something of the character of God. So I don't apply those things just to myself, but when God says, care for the poor, He's saying, because that represents something of just who I am. So that will never change. Don't worship other gods before me because you will never flourish apart from the one who is life. That never changes. We're not following it because we're ancient Israelites. We're following it because Jesus represents that very same God. That same God was most fully represented in Jesus, Hebrew 1 says. So friends, if I begin mixing and matching, here's a little bit of the new covenant. Here's a little bit of that. Friends, we are going to bog ourselves down. You're going to be tired You're going to make it difficult for people. Peter says, don't make it difficult for people to become followers of Jesus. The grace is already scandalous enough. You already have to lose your whole life to become a Jesus follower. Why add anything else? Don't add from your culture. Don't add from the old covenant. Don't add anything. It's only the scandalous grace of Jesus. So when I go to the Bible, what am I looking for? I'm not looking for tweetable moral tales. I'm looking for Jesus. I come back to that quote we often read. C.S. Lewis says what? We come to the Scripture not to learn a subject. How can I live a good life? How can I be a good person? We come to the Scriptures to steep ourselves, surround ourselves in a person every single thing studied in the right context in the Bible must point me to Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection, the scandalous grace, not of what you can do for God, what God has done for all people in Jesus forever. He calls us to it on every page. That's why even when Jesus is resurrected, he spends a bit of time with these two disciples who are going on the road to Emmaus. And what does he say to them? He goes into our Old Testament. He goes to the Jewish scriptures and he starts speaking about what? About Moses, the laws, about Leviticus? No, what does it say? Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And then what happens? They say to each other, man, weren't our hearts burning within us? while he was talking with us on the road, explaining the Scriptures to us. When the Scriptures, when my faith, when prayer, when all these things, when church is built around the scandalous grace of the new covenant, our hearts will burn, even in December. (laughs) You don't have to go to the beach to have your heart burning. I want to be there as well, friends, let's be honest. But here Jesus says, you will go into the Bible, you will go to the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God, and if it's the new covenant, your heart will burn again. Even when life is unfair, even when it doesn't work out the way that you thought it would, even when you feel low, even when you've got mental health challenges, even when work is not what it's meant to be, even when you've got challenges in your marriage, if it's the new covenant, if it's Jesus, if it's the good news, your heart will burn. Anything else, we're just adding. So can I give us one thing, just to apply? There's a couple that we could choose from, but I think one of the things that happens is because we mix and match so much, we have got a little bit of religion, a little bit of good being a good person, a little bit of don't do this, don't do that, stop swearing, stop smoking, be a good person, and a little bit of Jesus. Because we do that, you know what I think happens? We know in one sense that it's Jesus and only Jesus, but our thoughts don't get transformed. Because our thoughts are still stuck. Like some of the early followers of, of Christ, they were stuck in their Jewish ways. We get stuck in our cultural ways. We get stuck in our trauma from the past. We get stuck in our religiosity. We get stuck in what some person told me one time that didn't match up with the Bible. And so our thoughts are not renewed So what happens in my thought life. My thoughts condemn me. My emotions condemn me. You are not good enough. You don't make the cut. You are a poor version of a Christian. If people just knew here today what you've been doing the last couple of weeks, man, they would be ashamed. You should be ashamed. Our thoughts condemn us because though we believe in one sense in a new covenant, we live still from a covenant of works and religion and performance. And so if I ask you maybe today, how's it going with your faith? How many of us will begin with actions? Oh, Joe, you know, I've been reading the Bible. Come, I haven't been to church, but today I'm here. We're going to begin once again with performance. And what's going to happen? Your mind and your thoughts will condemn you. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Friends, I can tell you. I've had a journey over all my life, becoming a Christian at the age of 19. It's always been the challenge to align my thinking to the truth of Jesus. I've had deep struggles with depression. In the first season of my faith, man, pornography absolutely ruled my life. I have struggled over many years with this idea of, man, I can be so unkind to my wife or my kids. I had massive failings, epic failings in ministry. And even my son who suffers from genetic hearing loss, I battle with that. God, why not heal him? Why does life sometimes feel unfair? I've had things that happened to me and around me in my younger years that I feel, God, this is not fair. So what do I do with that? Because guess what? Accusations come from all places in your mind. Accusations comes from your bad decision-making sometimes. (laughs) I feel accused in my mind as a bad Christian because I made some really stupid decisions. Sometimes accusations come from the world just being broken. God, I go into the city and it tears my heart apart that everything is so broken. How can this faith actually work? Accusations come from other people. You are not the kind of Christian that you're meant to be. It comes from parents, from friends, from well-meaning colleagues. Accusations come from your own thinking. I'm still stuck in the old ways. It comes from the enemy. The enemy would love if you just spent the next decade of your life spinning your wheels emotionally. Still trying to prop yourself up for God. These accusations fly in from everywhere and they tell you, you will never change. You will never change. You are suffering at the moment because of your sin. It tells you your past, it's unforgivable. In fact, that is your identity. That trauma, that's who you are. How dare you speak to other people about Jesus? Just look at your own life. It tells you, you are still a sinner at heart. God would never accept someone as unfaithful as you. Our thoughts and our mind accuse us because we live in a Jesus plus reality. And what does the Bible say? Does it say, try harder? Come on, guys, you're in December. Now give it a good shot. No, Romans 12 2. Someone already read it this morning. Do not be conformed. Don't be conformed to this age, this age of half-truth, of lie, of deceit, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you discern what is the good and the pleasing and the perfect will of God. Ephesians 2 says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self. Can I just say it again? If you were a Christian here today, you are already made righteous, good, perfect, and lovable in God's eyes. Now the calling is align your thoughts and spirits so that you become more of who you already are. You are this in the eyes of Jesus. Now apply that to your mind and your actions and your habits. If it's not Jesus plus, it will change you. He's saying, have your thoughts Be renewed. Why is this so important? One of my favorite movies of all time, The Matrix. And someone told me the other day that they showed The Matrix to their kids, and they didn't like it. I thought we should excommunicate them from the church. Let's just be honest. In The Matrix, they ask this question, how would you deal with the fact that if you could not wake from a dream, imagine you're in a permanent state of dreaming, how would you differentiate between the dream world and the real world? I think most Christians live in a dream world. Jesus plus and I cannot differentiate anymore between what is the reality of who I am in Jesus and what I'm trying to accomplish in my own strength the lies being fed to me through my thoughts through the enemy through well-meaning friends through my lack of performance through all these things my mindset is like this dream world and guess what if I cannot wake from the dream that is my reality while you're asleep, that is your reality. If I live according to the lie, that is my reality. And Jesus says, no, I have done something permanent, profound, and perfect. Live in that place. Become awake to who you are in Jesus. It's not me plus anything. And why is that so important? Because our thoughts will lead us. Your accusatory thoughts, if you hold on to those things, whether they come from your past, your trauma, from the enemy, from a friend, from your own thinking, that will become your life. Can I read to us again, Craig Rochelle, Winning the War in Your Mind? What does he say? Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. It's always moving in that direction. What we think shapes who we are. If you think you are trapped, if you believe there's a a lock on the door, if you have bought into that lie, and it is the lie and nothing else that's holding you back, yet if you identify that lie, you can remove it. You can replace it with truth and be free. Your liberation is a simple two-step process. Remove the lie, replace it with truth. The truth is who I am in Jesus and all the pluses, all the accusations, all the condemnation. I'm not enough. I'm not good. I haven't made it. I can't do this anymore. It's difficult. There's a, there's a yoke. There's, I don't match up. I don't look like all these other people. I, I can't do what they do. I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm coming up to scratch. He says, identify those lies. Replace it with the truth of the scandalous grace of Jesus. It's not what you can do for God. It's what he has done for you. Let me end off with our kids. We do homemade pizza and movie nights on Friday evenings. So we have watched literally the whole human canon of animation movies ever produced. Um, Our youngest is still four, friends. So we need to, she needs to catch up that we can start watching the good stuff somewhere. But the other evening we watched Luca. Who's watched Luca? Such a great little movie. Yes. Thank you, Monique. TK. Yes. You know where I'm going with this. So there's this great scene where these two boys are about to go down this massive hill on this little rickety bike, and the one kid is so afraid. And he's like, no, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And the other boy just, he, he almost like has this spine moment. And he's like, listen, Silencio Bruno. And he's like, what? And he's like, there is a voice in all of our heads, and it's this, it's this name. He's given him a name. It's Bruno. And this voice tells you that you're not enough. You're not going to make it. This is going to be a disaster. You know what you do with that voice? You say, Silencio Bruno, silence. I love that. That is good theology. If it doesn't match up with the reality of Jesus, silence. Silencio Satan. Silencio circumstances. Silencio South Africa politics, the government, the economy. Silencio my past and my trauma. Silencio what even the well meaning neighbor who's a Christian with her essential oils is saying about becoming Jewish and blowing the ram's horn and all that stuff to be a good Christian. Silencio, all of that. If it doesn't line up with what Peter says, man, it is the grace, the unmerited favor of what God has done scandalously. What was the one bullet point on the meeting of the early church, the first gathering of the council? Are we gonna make this grace unscandalous? Just just grace, yes, but a little bit. No, no, no. Let's keep it as scandalous as it is. Jesus, given for you and for me, put back into perfect relationship with God. Restored in our calling and identity. And what do you do to earn that? You cannot. You put your faith and your trust in what He has done. And you experience the Holy Spirit transforming you, changing you renewing you, perfecting you, holding you till the very end. Come hell or high water, come bad thoughts, come depression, come struggle, come impotency, come being retrenched from my work, come a country that feels like it's falling apart, come all these things. If it doesn't match up with Jesus, it's not who I am. And I can, Jesus says, I give you permission to say, silencio Bruno. Amen? Amen. Friend, please, in this season, can we stand together and say, let's make our faith so scandalous. We are the scandalous people who live in the shadow of a cross. That's who you are, and that's who I am, if I'm a Christian. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray this morning that we would just be taken in again. That it's not who we, God, can be for you. But it's who you have been and who you are and who you will be for us. I pray for any heart here this morning that feels the weight literally on their shoulder of of Jesus plus something. God, may the Holy Spirit literally come and lift that off of them today. May they just experience the freedom, God, of a perfected, finished Work on a cross in love for them. May we be a free people, a joyous people who celebrate who we are in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.